Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. And since we didn't mention it on the last show, also in coordination with The Hockey News, our new parent company. So shout out to The Hockey News. We're glad to be on board there as well. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat and uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Boy, aren't they a roller coaster this season. Certainly plenty to talk about, even though there wasn't, in my eyes, much to take away from Tuesday's 5-4 to overtime victory. Certainly overarching storylines, but you can't really get into the, the nitty-gritty of that game because it was really just a dumpster fire and a crapshoot from the second the puck was dropped when we knew that the Penguins were going 11 forwards, 7 defense, and with an emergency recall of Alex Nylander, who we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. But Horwat, when you look at that game, do you take more positives away from that or more negatives away? That's It's so tough to give an answer like that. I would say more negatives just given who the team is. Uh, it's understandable. You're playing uh, 7 defensemen, 11 forwards. The old 11-7. We, it was a game where all four goalies were utilized. That's rare. Yeah. Um, and one of them was due to illness. The other was due to not being able to stop the puck. Because, again, you're playing against the worst team in the NHL. Literally, statistically, the worst team in the NHL. Yeah, there are the Ducks down there, but they at least have a few more points. Uh, but the Jackets just the fewest amount of points in the NHL. And just you let them get a four spot on you mm-hmm. in the second period during which time starting the second period they had to put in Michael Hutchinson who was very not good at goaltending um and you let that happen it, it I get that you, you okay congratulations you came out to the third scored 20 seconds in and really set yourselves up uh to roll forward it never should have gotten to that point though I think yeah. a lot of people were saying that and that's really where you have to look at that you shouldn't be down for nothing to a team like that regardless of who is in net for you regardless of what your lineup construction looks like regardless of who's new or old mm-hmm. that was supposed to be a game we were talking about it before the game that was supposed to be a game where you try some experiment and where you try kulikov instead of joseph where you tr- maybe try Granlund at center and it turned out Granlund didn't even play brian rust didn't even play um kulikov and joseph both played we had Alex Nylander get called up. There was a lot of interesting things that we thought you could do with that game that just couldn't happen. So I still take more negatives just because you don't get down that much to that team no matter what your situation is. And you don't let them force you to take you don't let them force overtime no less. You couldn't get the fifth. I get that's hard, but you couldn't get the fifth. Uh Good on them for, and applauding them, obviously, the Penguins for battling back, no matter who the team is, but uh, I was disappointed in the win. Mm. Yeah, and that's, honestly, it's fair that it shouldn't take that long to beat a team that, in that position, especially, I mean, there are young players on that team, but you saw the way the Penguins got behind. It wasn't because they were being outplayed by the Columbus Blue Jackets, because realistically, when you watch that game back, the Penguins were only outplayed by the Jackets maybe 10 minutes of that game in total. 
but when it was, obviously the Penguins got down three to nothing very early in that first period. A lot of the issues were self-inflicted wounds, like defensive breakdowns by the Pittsburgh Penguins that should not be happening at this time of the season, no matter who's playing. I get it's Kulikov's first game. I get him and Ruda weren't really on the same wavelength. It was probably Ruda's worst game in, in the last couple of months, but you shouldn't be having just wholesale breakdowns in the way that the Pittsburgh Penguins were. They were watching the puck way too much instead of covering the third man in on a lot of the rushes, which led to at least two of the goals for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, that was the one thing taught to me at the very beginning of Mites hockey. If you are the first forward back in the defensive zone, don't watch the puck. Don't watch the first two guys in there. You know who you need to be looking out for? That third forward, because it sometimes could be the most dangerous. Why? Because everybody's focused on the two guys on the rush. Let the defenseman take care of that and make sure that third guy is not going to be able to pick up the garbage. It's simple defensive hockey. And the Penguins were not executing that early on, on Tuesday. Luckily, they turned it around and, and realistically, they dominated possession and shot attempts the entire 60 minutes other than the first five minutes of the first period and the middle five minutes from 10 minutes remaining in the third to five minutes. The Columbus Blue Jackets went on a bit of a run. You could throw their power play was in the middle of that stretch there. But other than that, the Penguins controlled the pace of play because they're the better team. Yeah. When you go up against a team like tonight, the New York Islanders, like three of the next six games against the New York Rangers, if you're just trying to rest on your laurels as being the better team, you're not going to get it. Now, do they have a better lineup than, than the Islanders? It, it's 50-50 in my eyes with those two teams. But you're not going to be able to spot them three goals and come back like you did against the Blue Jackets. So you need to come out playing smart hockey and playing responsible hockey as well, which is what the Penguins, that was the biggest takeaway for me, is they weren't playing responsibly at all in the opening 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, you can't spot the Islanders' eagle. They'll shut it down. Game over. That's defensive hockey. And the thing about the Blue Jackets game is, too, it didn't look like either team looked good. The Blue Jackets looked like they were playing like garbage, too. They just happened yeah. to score. It was a comedy yeah. of errors on both sides. It's not like the Blue Jackets were looking like a dominant team. They were missing passes left and right. They were having defensive breakdowns left and right. The Penguins just weren't capitalizing on those defensive breakdowns. The Blue Jackets were but also doing it in a weird way. I mean, their fourth line, all three of the members of their fourth line scored a goal. Mm. Again, it's not even like it was their top guys, right? I don't remember the exact points. Did Johnny Goudreau even record a point? He certainly wasn't present in the game. Like, he didn't yeah. make his presence felt in the game, at least in my opinion. Um, I had the wrong points up. Let's see. <laughs> Who yeah. had points? Not Johnny Goudreau. He was a minus one. Two shots on goal. And 1826 played. Yeah, they were led by Emil Brandstrom, Liam Foody, and Kent Johnson, all with two points. Patrick Line had a goal, and Lane uh, Peterson had a goal. No, Jack Roslovic was there with an assist. So it's not like it was their top tier guys getting multi point games. I mean, they don't have many of them, but Boone Jenner down there to minus one. I already said Johnny Goudreau, no points. Um, and like I said, they had to switch goalies. Mm -hmm. That's not the situation where you get down for nothing in. Mm -hmm. yeah it, certainly obviously the penguins take the two points and they move on but the one thing other than the the, the bad defensive start uh, that i i noted and it's not a new issue with the pittsburgh penguins is i'm still not seeing enough contribution from the non-usual suspects look at the goals from tuesday again jason zucker had two jake gensel scored Crosby had the overtime winner. Danton Heinen was the one unusual suspect to score a goal. And who was on the ice and grabbed the two assists on his goal? Ricard Raquel and Sidney Crosby. So even when Heinen scored, it was because he was set up by the top line guys. So you need your defense. You need your bottom six. You're going to need some of that scoring because to me, that's a recipe for disaster once the playoffs come around, if the Penguins are able to clinch a spot for the 17th consecutive season, because it makes you easy to defend against. You just hyper-focus the defense on the top six. And I understand that so far this season, it's been a recipe for keeping the Penguins afloat in the top half of the Eastern Conference. But once you get into the playoffs, once you get into that best of seven, 
Teams start to constrict a little bit more. Teams start to play better defensively, and they're going to do that against your top six. Not saying that they're going to become, you know, rendered incapable of scoring in the postseason, but it's going to make it 10 times harder to win games when you don't have anybody else contributing. And it's such a drastic figure when you look at overall goals and the share that that top six has of the overall goals this season for the Penguins that you need to start seeing that. I understand the reimagined bottom six that Ron Hextall has built here since the trade deadline hasn't really had the opportunity to play all together yet. I mean, they did, I guess, on Saturday against Florida, but we'll say tonight will be potentially their first big night of playing together. But you need to get more from everybody. Defense, bottom six, you need more actual goal scoring. Not that they've played poorly in some situations, but you need those guys to light the lamp more often than they are. Yeah, no, that's without a doubt. To make it anywhere in the postseason, you need to be able to roll four lines, or at least three, and have some kind of faith in your fourth, right? It's just the way it is. And you can't think of too many teams, especially in recent history, that have gone... A, even all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, let alone win, without the deep forward group. Mm-hmm. Sure, every team has their top forwards, but it's the supporting cast. That's Those are the real, real difference makers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look at both Penguins' victories. Uh, I mean, Tom Kunak was not even in the league anymore, but he was a useful piece uh, during mm-hmm. the 17 run. HBK line was, on the, was the third line in 2016. It's... I'll give you one better. Who Who is the current dynasty in the National Hockey League? In the Eastern Conference? Uh, it's the Tampa Bay Tampa Lightning. Bay, yeah. They didn't win anything until they built up their third line of Coleman, Gordon, and whatever his third name is. Barkley yep. Goodrow. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's you got to be able to roll all th- all four lines. You have to have faith in, four, in your four lines, and they have to produce for you. Mm-hmm. Jerome Connor looks really good. He does. That's a... Great starting point. Danton Heinen, uh, Mike Sullivan just said yesterday that he's a streaky goal scorer, and there's no other way to put it, and that's true. He is. Yeah. Um, We'll talk about Alex Nylander in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Carter is Jeff Carter. I don't know how much better you're going to get. And the, the, the big issue is is um, Hexall didn't do much to address this, and we, we talked about it. We know. We discussed – yeah. What he did at the deadline, it could we could he chose B sides rather than the hits, and that's okay. It was addressing the issue, but it wasn't solving the issue. Um, Nick Pinino is only gonna be able to do so much. Uh, Mikhail Granlund mm-hmm. is a bag of maybes. I'll keep saying it. Yeah, and we'll see. We will see. I think it can't. This bottom six on paper, uh, on paper, sound like Ron Hextall here, can be something, mm-hmm. but it just needs to do it. Yeah. To sum things up that you were just saying, I guess Ron Hextall just brought in all the small things for the Pittsburgh Penguins um, instead of bringing in, you know, the hits. I but mean, you, except that is a hit, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, I I understand it. You know, <laughs> A side, B side, emo music, sweater. You know, we're uh, just then, trying to. We're trying to stay with the vibe here today. Now, the big thing that you mentioned there was about um, Danton Heinen being a streaky goal scorer. Before we move on to Alex Nylander, I do want to say this. You know who else is a streaky goal scorer? And I talked about him a lot on yesterday's Penguins to Go. He was actually the impetus of yesterday's uh, Penguins to Go. I think I'm using that word correctly. Uh, That's Jason Zucker. He is streaky as heck. But guess what? He also plays great defensively. He also plays fantastic on the forecheck. And he also runs people over when he's on the ice. So that's the problem with Danton Heinen. Not that he's a streaky goal scorer. Yeah, that's a, that's an issue. There's a lot of players in the National Hockey League that are streaky goal scorers. But what Mike Sullivan's not going to say, which is his biggest issue with Danton Heinen, is that he is defensively incapable. And he is not good when he's not scoring goals. That's the problem with Danton Heinen. Now, Heinen has gotten more run in this organization than I expected him to this season. Because whenever he, he went on that cold streak and they were sitting him out, healthy scratch after healthy scratch, I thought, okay, this has to be it. Because Sullivan already is not the biggest fan of Heinen. But he's hung around, man. He's like a cockroach. And, and let's not forget that he scored a really big goal in the playoffs last year. And if you can get him on fire at the right moment in time, 
he could be a really valuable bottom six piece. So that's what the Penguins are hoping for. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to get very many opportunities if other Penguins start showing up and being impressive in all-around style of play, including Alex Nylander. Because you look at Tuesday's game, Alex Nylander was supposed to start and supposed to play on the Pittsburgh Penguins' third line. He went out there for 2 minutes and 27 seconds with that line before Mike Sullivan said, I have seen enough. I need to put him a little higher in the lineup. I need him to be playing with Evgeny Malkin and Jason Zucker. And he blew that line up in a way that we've seen all season with Brian Rust, but it's nice to see with somebody else out there. 8 minutes and 55 seconds of time on ice with Nylander, Malkin, and Zucker on the ice. 18 to 6 advantage in the shot attempts, 2 to nothing advantage in the actual goals scored, and 82.9% of the expected goals at 5 on 5. Nylander just looked like he fit like a glove in the Pittsburgh Penguins system, didn't he? Oh, he did. He did. It's he not only was he producing that offense, but there was a couple of moments where he looked pretty aware defensively. It wasn't just yeah. a he's all gas no breaks. He's only here for the offensive numbers that he put up in the A. No that he was getting back defensively pretty well he was just trying to uh as every hockey player will say keep it simple play his game and he did exactly that so <laughs> applause and he absolutely looks like uh he could be a useful piece in the lineup mm -hmm. I, we get it's a confused i don't understand the situation completely when it comes to <laughs> his status his status and yeah because yeah. emergency call-ups but also paling mm -hmm. on ltir but also this that cap yeah. Um, Essentially, if he needs to come up, and then I'll finish up my point pretty much. If he needs to come up, or if you want to call him up, you should be you should be able to create that space for him because he looks like he can really be a boost to this bottom six in this lineup down the down the line. Mm -hmm. uh, not just now, but for the last nineteen games of the season, maybe a postseason. You never know. And then, I mean, I'm assuming it's only a one year deal he's on. We're yes. talking next year. One-way deal next year. Bring him up, leave him up, inject some youth into this lineup alongside Drew O'Connor, maybe Valtteri Pustin gets in there. This, the future of Sam Poulin, we do not know, but maybe him as well. We see where things go. Get some youth into this lineup. Yeah, uh, like I, I stated at the top of this show, it is hard to take a lot of stuff uh, uh, into consideration from Tuesday because you were playing one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League, uh, not somebody that's really going to force the issue on you offensively. So while Nylander did look defensively responsible, he was in position, he was playing it well. We can't really tell until we see him against a team that's actually in contention, in, in my eyes, or at least in more so of contention than the, the Columbus Blue Jackets because even even TSN did a mock expansion, not expansion draft, a mock uh, NHL draft lottery, and Columbus came out with the top pick in Connor Bedard. Like, there's a reason they're that far down the draft list, and it's because they're, they're really not in a position to win hockey games. But I did like a lot of what I saw from Alex Nylander, and listen, this is something I've wanted to see and a lot of people have been calling for for a majority of the season, but the Pittsburgh Penguins management has backed themselves into a corner with these young guys where they can't afford to bring them up. You mentioned that, yeah, there's a way that we can have Alex Nylander playing at the NHL level for the remainder of the season. Part one would be to keep Ryan Paling on LTIR. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Uh, that was a move that was made retroactively simply to make sure they had at least 11 forwards on the ice in Tuesday's game because, of course, Granlin and Ruster were missing the game. But P Paling was, is still practicing. His injury is very strange. We don't know really what it is. We don't know why he keeps suffering setbacks the way he is. He's eligible to return from LTIR on Saturday. So at the very least, you know Nylander is still going to be potentially in the lineup tonight. We'll have to wait and see because Granlin and Rust are expected to return. But when you look at, at Alex Nylander, the Pittsburgh Penguins need somebody like that. While Danton Heinen is a similar situation where defensively is where he struggles, but offensively he brings some firepower, Nylander is a different face and somebody that has proven now, even in a small sample size, that he's a better option in the top six if need be. Now, you don't want to have to use Alex Nylander in the top six, but you know what I really liked, even though it was a small sample size together? Him and O'Connor. They've played together in Wilkes. Him and O'Connor looked really good together. 
the speed at which they were playing in the offensive zone, the chemistry that seemed like it was already inherently between the two, they looked really good, especially considering they were carrying Jeff Carter around the ice. Because Carter still somehow managed to have a bad game. Like, I understand that, like, everybody had a bad moments in those games, but, like, Jeff Carter managed to still have a bad game in the offensive zone when the Penguins controlled 90% of the actual, you know, possession and opportunities. But the guys around him, O'Connor and Nylander, they certainly looked good together. And then, of course, Nylander looked good with Malkin and Zucker. It's nice to have a guy like that. But the issue is the Penguins have loaded up on expensive NHL guys that they can't afford to keep Nylander up. They certainly can't afford to have Nylander and Pustin get a shot. You might not see Pustin in this season. Right. So, I mean, you look at the Penguins, five defensemen over $2.75 million. They can't afford to call these young players up, even if they wanted to. Guys like Carter, Granlund, expensive bottom six guys. That's the problem with the Pittsburgh Penguins management system. I know I didn't want to get into like the management side of things, but when you talk about Nylander, that has to be something that comes up because the question that a lot of people asked on Tuesday is, why has it been two years or, or a year and a half, and we this is the first we're seeing of this guy in a Penguins uniform? That's the reason why, because they've mismanaged the team in that fashion to where they can't afford to bring guys like this up. And, and now you look at it and, you know, they can keep them up in certain ways, He's certainly going to have to go down at some point because Paling's going to come off LTIR and then maybe they can accrue enough cap space by the end of the season to bring him back up. Like, that's the thing. You shouldn't be in that position. I know a lot of teams are struggling with the cap, but just the mismanagement to screw yourself out actually using young talent is uh, is mind-numbing to me at points. Yeah, the, it's the mismanagement to the nth degree. It's, it's hideous what uh, the management has done to this. To the salary cap, to the point where we had to lose Kapanen on waivers, where we had to attempt to drop McGinn through waivers mm-hmm. and hope somebody would take him, only to send him to the minors and trade him away. I mean, it, good that you got out from underneath those deals, but you immediately put it right back on with the Grandland deal. So, yeah, it is what it is. It's good that you were fixing the mistakes but you made another one so Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's gross mismanagement i don't know how else to put it um and it's hurting a couple different areas of the lineup yeah you mentioned grandland again there's a quote from brian burke from this week that i definitely want to bring up but we're running we're running along here on the opening segment of the tip of the iceberg podcast so we're going to take a quick commercial break pay the bills when we come back I'll talk about that quote from Brian Burke on Mikhail Granlin, and we'll talk Dmitry Kulikov as he also made his Penguins debut on Tuesday. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. This is not verbatim, so this is not his exact quote, but when Brian Burke was talking about the additions made at the trade deadline by the Pittsburgh Penguins, he was talking about Mikhail Granlund, and he said, I think it's not just an addition to the bottom six, but I consider it an addition to the top seven. And... To me, it's just a confirmation of the fact that, I mean, and this is, again, as most of my discussions are here, this is how my brain has worked it out and what my brain sees. That tells me that I shouldn't get too attached to Jason Zucker. Oh, okay. Because to make a point to say he is more so aligned with our top six than our bottom six tells me that, hey, that $5 million over the next two seasons is probably because they don't expect to be able to re-sign Jason Zucker. Not that the door's closed, because there's a chance that Jason Zucker, like I said yesterday, takes a pay cut to stay in Pittsburgh because his family is here now, and he's been set up here for several years now. He might stay here. He might want to stay here and take the pay cut. But what that tells me of, of Brian Burke saying, you know, I see him more as a, an addition to our top seven, which is not a statement that make, many people make, 
just tells me that one, I shouldn't get attached to Jason Zucker, and two, they've really overvaluated uh, Mikhail Granlin. Again, not trying to bury the player, but to say that he is a top seven player, the guy has not performed anywhere near where your top six has performed, and you shouldn't be lumping him in with that group. Uh, right, but I think there there are a couple different ways you can take this statement. Uh, okay, saying the saying what you did definitely for sure. Uh, number two that comes to my head is okay. He just thinks he's the seventh best forward on the team. Just he's not looking, a stretch. He's looking at it on the list, not in their lineups, but looking at it as a one, two, three, four kind of list, and he sees Mikhail Granlin at number seven. Okay. Or there's the third way that he could look at it as he is the top player in our bottom six. It just so happens that also pretty much means he's the seventh best player. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a a one B option of of these yeah. of this thought process. It is there's they're the same thing, but there's a difference to them. There's a little nuance. There is he is the top player in our bottom six that can bring something, and I like to yeah. look at it as that that B option. The top player in the bottom six because he pretty much is he's got the namesake he's got the contract for it Mm -hmm. and if we see him uh get rolling here he can be he came in with the most points of the group i think Mm -hmm. i forget if it's points i know benino had the most goals out of him uh yeah he has the most points uh granlin of the of the bottom six with 20 plus assists and nine goals yeah, I believe he's up to like 27 assists. Which isn't bad. I mean, those numbers are solid. They're good enough for a third, for a third fourth line guy, but $5 million is where everything kind of goes downhill. Yeah. So I, I think those comments are interesting, but it is at least, I don't know if it is anything, if it is any good knowing <laughs> that that's what they believe. But you know what? It's yeah. He's also probably not wrong. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at his glass half full. I have not been given a reason to really trust Brian Burke or Ron Hextall this season. So when he says that statement, it just seems like an unnecessary thing to say unless you mean something by it. Like, he's our, uh, you know, our top seven. It's like, okay, you could say he's the best player in the bottom six, but to go out of your way to lump him in with that top six is is what raised the the red flag to me of like eh, there's something else going on there in my mind but um the one thing i will say before we talk about dmitry kulikov who who we must uh we must talk about dmitry kulikov um the best third line that i can come up with in my head for this team at this moment in time is granland o'connor and nylander speed offensive capability a little bit of issues when it comes to the defensive zone, most likely. But they do have O'Connor out there who does cover up some mistakes. Nylander killed a ton of penalties in this time so far here. Yes. Yeah, or not Granlin was Granlund. Granlund. Yes. Granlin is a penalty kill guy as well. So maybe that's that's what you do. And it gets, it, it gets Jeff Carter on the wing. It gets Jeff Carter on the fourth line. But also, you know... Should Jeff Carter stay in the lineup over a guy like Josh Archibald? That's that's another question. Like you look at what Archibald brings, he he's trying to just DDT people from the top rope. It seems like every time he's out there. But no, it, it's it's an interesting situation. The Penguins' bottom six, and like we said, with Nylander kind of throwing his name into the fold as potentially being a serious contender for a roster spot at this point, um, if they can figure it out with the salary cap, which is a big if, then you don't know what you're about to see. Because when is the last time the Penguins have put somebody from their bottom six into the top six and it's actually looked like it's really worked? Like, Nylander is the first case of that in a long time. Um, they did, they weren't comfortable putting Kasperi Kapanen up there. They didn't. Um, they weren't comfortable putting Danton Heinen up there unless they absolutely had to. And that lasted two minutes of ice time. And then he was switched off. So, Nylander, again, small sample size. We preach that all the time. Nylander... Uh, has certainly changed the conversation about the the Penguins' forward core. But somebody that's changed the conversation about the Penguins' defense core is Dmitry Kulikov. You asked Mike Sullivan if he creates competition, and, and Sullivan bluntly said, yeah, he, he does. Like, I, I don't know what else to tell you. That's what he's here for, and, and that's what he's going to do. Obviously, he gets the start on the third pairing over P.O. Joseph on Tuesday. We both said on Monday's episode and talked about it for a full segment that, you know, it's good to see what you have now. You got to figure it out, especially against a team like Columbus. We're probably going to see it tonight against the uh, New York Islanders. But when you saw him 
on Tuesday. Played 15 minutes of time on ice, a minute 47 on the penalty kill. He finished with impressive underlying stats, but then again, everybody did on the team. He had two shots on goal and one hit. No points in a minus two or minus one or something like that. Um, that stupid stat um, on the ice. So when you watched Kulikov, what did you think of him? Especially considering he was playing on a pairing with Jan Ruda, who, like we mentioned earlier, had one of his worst games that we can remember, or at least I can remember this season. Yeah, it's uh, hard to kind of place an exact definition on Kulikov so far in one game in a weird situation where yeah not only that's all we have yeah not only was it seven defensemen but for a majority of it he was paired with Ruda so at the beginning of the game Kulikov was tasked with oh my D partner can't do anything right anything correct right now (laughs) yeah um Ruda taking that bad penalty to start the game off giving uh Columbus their goal and then I mean, this I believe it was the second goal that uh, looked like a giveaway from Ruda. It also just looked like he whiffed on the shot, so a little bit of both. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's hard to all of a sudden build yourself back up whenever you are <laughs> paired with that to start. So I think he deserves another shot at maybe a normal lineup, maybe uh, a bit of a more consistent Jan Ruda to play alongside. Uh, I still am curious to see what he can do just in a normal circumstance in a regular situation. But so far, if the, under, if the underlying numbers look good, not bad. It's hard to build out of, I'm assuming, a minus two or something <clears throat> to get to a minus one uh, in a game like that where a lot of the, the forwards are doing head, a lot of the heavy lifting and there's only so much you can do as with seven defensemen. Shocked he made... Uh, 15 minutes of ice time, honestly. Yeah, uh, and it's funny, too, because the guy that everybody expected him to be stepping in for in P.O. Joseph was the low man on the totem pole when it came to ice time on Tuesday. I believe he only just had like six and a half minutes of ice time. He was lower than everybody else on the team. But to me, P.O. Joseph was much more noticeable than both Jan Ruda and Dmitry Kulikov in his six minutes than their 12 and 15 which is a good thing for P.O. Joseph because that's something that he had been missing as of lately. Like, people have been talking about it, and I know, I think I talked about it with my dad that I was like, he, he might be hitting a rookie wall. Like, he's not playing poorly, but he's not making those noticeable take-command plays that he has been making throughout the season where he just takes the puck up on his own right, exits the zone with the puck, and comes out with speed. He hadn't been doing that. He did it on a couple occasions on Tuesday, and again, only in six minutes of ice time. Now, two minutes and 58 of that was with Dmitry Kulikov, the guy that was supposedly replacing him. But multiple shifts with Chris Letang as well. Dumlin was was switched around. Now, the big issue was Pedersen Petrie had a, had a pretty bad game as far as their concern in being a pairing. So everything was kind of shifted around. But once again... Another little nugget of P.O. Joseph and Chris Letang, that being something the coaches go to in mid-game when they're switching everything around and everything's in flux, they land on Joseph and, and Letang once again. I just I feel like there's something there, and I want to see them get a little bit of run. Because if Joseph can be that commanding, puck-controlling, puck-possession type of defenseman, that's also been very good defensively this season. Like, without the puck... Against the rush, P.O. Joseph has been pretty good this season. Now in front of the net is where he does struggle somewhat, and Crystal Tang is not the biggest counterpart to be on the other end of that, but that as a pairing is something that I feel like we haven't seen the end of, and I feel like there's something coming to where we're probably going to see that. Maybe not this season, but maybe next season that is where the Penguins start with uh, as their top pairing, because despite only playing 622, Joseph to me was very, very evident in that game. Yeah, this, <clears throat> this defense is going to need an overhaul, I think. <clears throat> I think I kind of tapped into that last summer if uh, if you were going to lose Latang, whenever those discussions were happening. I thought, mm-hmm. if you're losing Latang, you may as well overhaul the entire thing. All six, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. If you could. Um, but now it's coming to the point where more tweaks are going to be made. Brian Doom was probably not coming back. Uh, it's... We'll see what happens with Kulikov. He's likely not coming back. And then where do you go from there? you got to find new faces, and you're not going to implement Chad Ruedel. 
that often. You're probably not going to do the same thing with Friedman. Petrie's still here. Uh, you got to find the top guys, and who knows? I think Pio Joseph might be able to slide into that kind of spot. <clears throat> I think that's what we want him to do. That's what we want him to progress into. That's what the team wants to see from him. He just has to really take advantage of every opportunity that he has down the stretch here mm-hmm. and every opportunity that's going to be given to him this offseason, this preseason, this upcoming you know, training camp and preseason and see what he can bring as a more mature player with a full year under his belt. Mm-hmm. He can grow into it. It's a matter of getting there, and hopefully Ron Hextall isn't still shopping him around everywhere. Yeah, at this moment in time, shopping him or Pedersen just seems like a blatantly idiotic move to make. I think that there is a chance that you go into next season with a very similar defense core in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't believe Brian Dumlin would be brought back. If he is, I'm assuming it's going to be on a very cheap contract. Um, but something tells me that that right side is is locked up uh, with Latang, Petrie, and uh, Ruda. And I feel like the left side is too. I mean, we've heard that Pedersen and Joseph were were out there as names to be traded as, as recent as the week of the trade deadline. I don't think that's a smart decision unless you're able to bring somebody back that's cost-effective because, again, the big issue that you're having right now is you're paying a lot of money for a defense that is bottom half of the NHL. So you, you can't continue to be doing that, especially when the offense needs the reinforcements that it does when it has some of those guys like Nylander, like Pustinen, like there are reinforcements to be had. Even maybe Hollander takes a step and becomes an NHL player next season, but they just haven't been able to get these guys any run at the NHL level. Cause you're spending so much money on a defense that just is not performing to the level of their paychecks. Uh, and that's, that's an issue that could be addressed at a later date because that's what the Penguins are stuck with for this season. Obviously that's something they need to look at this summer, but P.O. Joseph in my opinion, should be a tentpole player on the left side of the Penguins' defense. Pedersen, again, he's been fantastic this season, but when it comes to if you have to keep one of them, which I I would hate to have to lose one of them considering what that left side looks like, but if you have to keep one of them in the offseason, I think you probably stick with P.O. Joseph because you can find the value on a guy like Pedersen for a lower price tag, in my opinion. But yeah. again, that's that's a discussion for the summertime. That is. <clears throat> and you could get more in return for Pedersen if he truly needed to. True. He, he is a more valuable trade chip. Um, yeah, that's... The more valuable trade chip usually lasts uh, or uh, pulls back the most, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. If you had to lose one, yeah, I think it'd be Pedersen for a couple reasons, and that's one of them, obviously. Second one is the longevity. You all of a sudden have a younger player by a couple seasons um, who might be able to stick around a little longer. Mm-hmm. That's all it's I got. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting, too, because coming into the season, everybody saw P.O. Joseph as, hey, he's more of an offensive guy than a defensive-leaning guy. I feel like his trajectory is kind of aligning with what Marcus Pedersen has become. Now, P.O. Joseph doesn't have the intangibles as far as size to his advantage to where Pedersen does have a little bit more size and is a little bulkier. But I feel like the style of play is starting to get eerily similar between those two, and that is not necessarily a bad thing uh, for Pierre-Olivier Joseph. So definitely got to keep an eye on this defense core. Tonight might be the first time we see what it looks like with just six guys. Maybe Joseph gets the healthy scratch tonight. We'll have to wait and see. Penguins take on the Islanders as part of a massive metropolitan week that they are in the midst of. We'll talk about that and more and the importance of the next handful of games here for the Pittsburgh Penguins right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, we're about a month away from the end of the regular season. This year, as far as hockey year, has flown by. Mm-hmm. Like It feels like just yesterday we were sitting in Cranberry talking about these prospects, talking about, hey, Redeem Zahorna looks really good out there today, and getting ready for the 2022-2023 season. And now... 
We got 19 games left on the schedule for the Pittsburgh Penguins to try to lock up a 17th consecutive playoff berth. It's going to be a fun ride for the last couple of weeks of this season. Now, they have a massive Metropolitan Division week on deck. Obviously, Columbus was the opener of that in which the Penguins won it in overtime 5-4. to four. They have the New York Islanders coming up tonight, the Philadelphia Flyers on Saturday, the New York Rangers on Sunday, all at home, and then they take on Montreal on Tuesday before going to New York, the Big Apple, and taking on the Rangers in back-to-back games, not on back-to-back nights, but back-to-back games at Madison Square Garden, the site of the end of the Penguins season last year. So, Obviously, a big week coming up for the Penguins. Means a little bit more considering who their opponents are and considering the struggles they've had against the Metropolitan Division. Yeah, you could say that. They started off hot, but then the struggles have crept in. I forget how many straight losses it was against them. Oh, damn. It was a big number, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, This was a week that when the count, the schedule came out, that New York, Montreal, New York, New York week, everyone highlighted right away. First, for a couple of different mm-hmm. reasons. One amongst them definitely being, that's stupid. Because it is. <laughs> because that is. That's very dumb. Yeah, 75% that. of your game is against the team that you played in the playoffs are coming in one week. Coming in okay. one week. Yeah, spread your ratings out, TV. You know, if, that's, <laughs> if, if you did that yeah. for ratings, spread it out. We Also, we played them months ago. Months mm-hmm. ago. Do you remember that? We beat them the first time, too. They did. (laughs) So that was one reason why that was highlighted. But secondly, you look at the team that it is. It's the New York Rangers. They were... A couple seasons ago, they were the team growing into what they could be. Last season, they showed that they have that ability. This year, it was okay. They are the real deal this year. They have to really prove themselves, and they've done so. By not only winning games, being in the top three of the Metro, but also the additions. The loading up of Tarasenko and whatever defenseman they got is escaping me. Mikola. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick Kane, the prize. Now, the New York Rangers haven't been so hot since then, which is kind of funny. They have not. But, like I was said, that the, the week was also highlighted for those three games because odds were, and they're checking out, that the Penguins and the... Uh, Rangers were going to be in similar spots. Now the Penguins are a little lower, but mm-hmm. this could make a break. This is going to not this could this is going to make a break their season. Yeah, there are eight playoff spots available every year in the Eastern Conference. Three of them, by nature of the actual format, are unavailable to the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's the top three in the Atlantic. So the Penguins could finish every year in one of five spots to make it to the postseason. First seed, probably out of reach. Second seed in the Metro, probably out of reach. Third seed in the Metro is in play still. And that's because of the nature of this week. And it's also because the Penguins have been heating up at the exact moment the New York Rangers have been falling off. The Pittsburgh Penguins have now won five of their last six games. Now, they haven't all been pretty. Certainly was not a pretty game on Tuesday. But they've won five of their last six games. The New York Rangers, on the other hand, in their last ten are 4-5-1, and one, including two and five in their last seven. They currently have a six-point lead on the Pittsburgh Penguins in the standings. Now, while that might seem like a very large amount, and it is a very large amount, when you play a team three times in a week, that provides a lot of four-point swings. Each game is a four-point swing. The Pittsburgh Penguins could tie the New York Rangers by the end of next week, or at the very least could get into contention for the third seed in the Metropolitan Division. Now, why is that important? It is important because you, one, solidify your spot in the playoffs, whereas right now it's, it's you know, 90% money puck, that's fine, whatever. If, if you like money puck, I, I understand that it's the most accurate, up-to-date, every single day they update it, every single game they update it's like it. like multiple times a day they're updating it now. It, yeah, every time that it happens or something happens, that, those percentages are updated. I get that. But you still look at how many teams are on the Penguins' tail. Even though they have the math on their side, it would be a lot better for the Penguins if they can get into that conversation with the New York Rangers for that third spot 
versus fighting with the Buffalo Sabres and the Ottawa Senators and the New York Islanders for those wildcard positioning. Because right now where the Penguins sit in the second wildcard spot is a death spot. Because right now you're, you're going to be facing the Boston Bruins if you finish in that spot. And it's, it's about 95%. That's not Money Puck stats. That's Nick Berlansky stats right there. 95% chance if you finish in wildcard two, you're going up against a team that could have a historically good season when it comes to regular season performance. So it doesn't mean they have to finish in the top three, but it certainly means a lot if they can perform this week and they can hunt down the New York Rangers and get into position to get that spot instead of the opposite side is if they don't perform this week and they lose a lot of those games, two or three of those games against the Rangers, that closes the opportunity for them to get that spot. And now there's only two spots left that you can contend for. Right. I understand the Penguins have the math on their side, but you want to keep doors open for as many potential finishing positions as possible. This week is going to be huge for that fact. Yeah, it's not so much that... If you lose those games, you always you don't. It's not that you have to worry about the Rangers overtaking you. Now, now all of a sudden you're handicapping yourself for the teams behind you to follow up. Because here's yeah. the thing: the heading into these three games, the Rangers have a similar schedule. They also play mm-hmm. tonight in Montreal. They also play Saturday afternoonish against Buffalo. Important team there. Mm-hmm. Then they you know come to Pittsburgh the next day. We will also be on the second half of a back to back. Uh, we have the benefit of not traveling. Mm-hmm. And then, man, I just remember the goalie situation. But anyway, then we have Montreal. That same day, they have Washington. They mm-hmm. go home to play Washington, who, again, another important team to this. We talked about it last week, or last episode. I think Washington could dumb luck their way into wins if they're truly going to keep you know, firing the puck to Alex Ovechkin. I mean, Alex Ovechkin on Broadway suddenly uh he's got a bit of a chance there and then the two games against the penguins mm-hmm. added bonus i don't know if this really helps uh, uh new york has to follow the penguins up immediately with nashville the next day i don't know if that means anything to them it's nashville yeah we're gonna be getting to Sturkin each game i would assume likely yeah i would say that's it's likely i don't know if it would be all three games but there's a good chance and I would assume and I would kind of hope Tristan Jari is A, in on all three games, also performing and healthy in all three games. Uh, I know we have the Flyers the day before, but that's a, that's a Casey to Smith game. Saturday afternoon, post-parade, by the way, post-St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, the town's going to be buzzing. Why is the St. Patrick's – okay, not necessary to ask, but I am questioning it. Why is the St. Patrick's Day Parade this week instead of next week when Friday is St. Patrick's Day? I think it's this week. I saw the signs up on the road. I'm assuming it's this week, and Ugh. it is our uh, St. Patrick's Day celebration game. So, Oh, well, yeah, that'll make sense. But, no, it's – you're right. It's very similar schedules. Yep. Um, when it comes to playing a team that's fighting for playoff – or not play-in, but uh, wild-card positioning – playing a team that is far away from the wild card and not really in that positioning. But the Penguins have the advantage in that all their other games, except for the Rangers games, are at home. Whereas the Rangers are playing two of those three games on the road, including the first one against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So there's a little bit of an advantage there. And the importance to this is not just because you want to keep that third Metropolitan Division spot open, but because if you get that spot, you're playing a team that is much less experienced in the playoffs. Now, Take that for what it is, but you are likely to face off if you finish in third in the Metro against the New Jersey Devils. Penguins have not beaten the Devils this season. They also have not beaten the Carolina Hurricanes. They also have not beaten the Boston Bruins. So regardless, the regular season series is not going to be in favor of the Penguins for whoever they play. But let's not forget, they also got their crap kicked out of them by the Rangers in the regular season last year, and it took seven games between the two to eliminate the Penguins. Yep. All I'm saying is, on paper which is something that this organization apparently thrives on. On paper, the New Jersey Devils are the best matchup for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> this is the, this is really, in my opinion, your last chance to keep that potential matchup alive. Yeah, that's their best chance. They've proven to keep up with Carolina, but they've never gotten over the hump. <clears throat> that's an yeah, issue. Carolina is on another level right now. Did you see them beat the crap out of Tampa Bay last weekend? 
Gave up four shots on goal in the first two periods. Yeah, that was that game. Ridiculous. I'm not saying the Lightning are dumb, but I'm saying they're in a state of free fall for a a moment here. Yeah. Um, We also have a chance. We still have a game against Boston left. We have a game against New Jersey left. We have a chance to turn this currently against those three teams, Boston, Carolina, and New Jersey, or 0-5-4. We have the chance to make it 2-5-4. We have the chance to make it one five and four, and then I'm not going to get into details of overtime losses. I don't have that much uh, brain energy to count at the moment, <laughs> but we have the chance to make this look a little better and give us more of a, you know, more of a boost in morale against a team like that. If we have to take on one of those two, um, the Devils are likely the easier, easier quote unquote competition here. Less experience. They're still the young squad that. I, I mean, are, are we all still shocked that they're in this position right now? At the beginning of the uh, year, I'm not was, anymore. I'm, I, yeah, I guess. But I, at the beginning of the year, we're shocking all. It was, what are these guys doing here? Yeah. Uh, but here they are. So how long does that hold on? Again, it's their first season of doing this. Uh, and the play, anything can happen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. build your morale up. These are important games. You got to beat the Rangers just to have any sort of chance to make it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a pivotal week for the Pittsburgh Penguins for playoff positioning. We'll see what they're able to do tonight. It, it all kicks off in a massive, massive matchup against the New York Islanders. Yes, the Penguins are only down by one point to them in the standings. Yes, the Penguins have three games in hand on the New York Islanders as well, but this is a huge four point swing. They could go a long way in making sure the Pittsburgh Penguins are ahead of the New York Islanders when all is said and done in mid-April. So, huge game tonight, Horwat. Uh, let's do something we haven't done in a while. Score prediction. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah. Oh. Uh... <laughs> I forgot about those. You do not want to do those. <laughs> no, and I barely counted that record uh, against those three teams. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be something something low. I don't know why. <clears throat> we go three to two. Good old Penguins. Three to two in overtime for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're uh, we're in agreement there. I think it's going to be low scoring. All three of the games against the New York Islanders have been one goal games. Uh, the last two though, the Pittsburgh Penguins have given up third period leads to fall in overtime. So I think they flipped the switch. I think they're down two to one going into the third. They tie it, win it in overtime. Good vibes only heading into a big back-to-back over the weekend. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins for video versions of Tip of the Iceberg. Or if you just want to listen to our voices and don't want to see our made-for-radio faces, you can go and listen to us anywhere you get your podcast from. That's it for this one. We'll see you guys next time.